All right, it's a few minutes after 8 o'clock here, 8 minutes after 8 exactly, and uh, we get to visit with one of the greatest gardeners around. <laughs> and it's funny, uh, Howard, let me go ahead and push that button right there. We were just we we're just talking about golf, and I guess I shouldn't say one of the greatest golfers around, but certainly one of the greatest, greatest gardeners around. Well, um, a little frustrated about my golf game. I've taken off for a while now. I'm just going to spend my time with my art and my gardening. It's uh, too frustrating. You get to hear it in one part of my game really well, and the other falls apart. So. You know, that was my experience a number of years ago, and I've I've always identified with Mark Twain's quote that golf was a good walk spoiled. <laughs> so, yeah. anyway, but it's still, gosh, it's such a... Great chance for some exercise and a, a good chance to get out in the sunshine and uh, observe nature. So I'll, I'll look forward to it when you get back to it. But I know you're, I know as as busy as you are, you know, to throw on top of that gardening and the artwork that you're doing now, it just makes for a busy life. Well, I've got about a foot of uh, leaves that I got to deal with today. I'll have a crew coming over to help, but uh, I've got plenty I need to do too. I finally got around to planting a few more color. Uh, uh, cool weather color plants, and I've got some sedges I was still going to stick in the ground. So I've got plenty of gardening to do today, including getting all the r- leaves off the roof of the house. Uh, <laughs> it's completely covered right now, too. Do you did you just uh, pile them and compost them as is? Do you shred them up a little bit? What what do you do with the uh, with all your surplus plus of leaves? Well, it, it's an interesting thing. Some of the other people in our business uh, have been writing some things, complaining a little bit and arguing about my recommended techniques, but uh, I still think it's the best way to go. If you've got any turf, which I have very, very little of, you know, you mulch as much as you can into the turf, and right. then once it gets to be about uh, cut, you know, almost covering the turf completely up, you stop. You don't, you know, cover the turf completely. Mm-hmm. Just use some common sense, and then we continue to grind up the leaves in the uh, driveway so the you know reduce the volume sure. tremendously. And then we have a big, huge compost pile in the back that's also part of the erosion uh, protection. And uh, besides going in bare spots and beds, which is the second thing we do, then the final step is it goes in the compost pile. And, of course, under no circumstances should anybody be sending it to the landfill and unfortunately, there are still people that are, you know, that brain dead and doing that. <laughs> it is. It's just crazy. It's one of the things I remember that just was just made so much sense the way Malcolm put it years ago. He said that, you know, you got to think those tree roots are way down deep in the ground. They're bringing up nutrients and minerals and things that the roots of many plants would not have access to. The trees putting them in the leaves and then putting them right back on the surface of the ground where, you know, it just keeps rebuilding that surface layer of soil with deep minerals that the trees uh, extracted for you. And it just creates, uh, a, I think, a real easily understood uh, picture of what's happening. And that's why I can't understand people throwing them away, because it's just remineralizing your soil from uh, from the top down. And uh, leaves are just way too too valuable. And uh, I I tend to just, you know, shred them up in place for the most part, but I don't have quite the, quite the forest that you do on your property no it's uh it's a little different for everybody but i guess the most comical one that we uh hear from time to time is people say that if you you know put uh, especially oak leaves if you leave them on the ground it'll 
it'll make the soil too acid and foul up the soil. You know, if, if there were any truth to that at all, the forests would be in real trouble, wouldn't they? And if we could have a little more acidification, it wouldn't hurt a thing. But no, that is... That's one of the crazy things, and I still hear it. Some, if not every day, every week, people people worried about that. And uh, you know, I grew up being told the same thing, but man, I can't think of much of anything that's further from the truth. Yeah, it's uh, it still hangs around. It's pretty incredible. There are a, a lot of people that uh, that still just put the uh, leaves straight into the compost pile. And that's fine if you're going to, you know, reuse it on the property. So, you know, you're not letting the, the carbon and the nutrients in the leaves go away. But uh, the first step is a lot easier just to grind it up into a smaller material and use it in beds and then put it in a compost pile as the last step. Well, I have a friend here that bought uh, a number of years ago. We bought a one-acre lot, a home on a really big lot that had been really abused chemically over the years. And he spent... You know, a lot of his days off with a pickup truck going around and just picking up the bags of leaves off the curb from uh, everybody around. And he told me at one point, he said, say, I sure wish you'd tell all my neighbors, all my stupid neighbors, thank you for giving me all this wonderful organic material. And he turned that acre just into an, an incredible garden by collecting <laughs> what everybody else was throwing away. And uh it's interesting how we make progress on some fronts, and sometimes you just scratch your head when you when you look at what's uh, what's going on. Uh, I One tell of you, the best tomato growers I've ever run into is over in Fort Worth, and that's all he did. Exactly what you just said. Yeah. He just picked up leaves from other people and tilled them in, and and uh, over the period. Of years he had the best production you've ever seen he was also the one that taught me to do the four foot wide beds and uh, plant the uh, hairy vetch on the side slopes of the uh, beds it looked really pretty Mm -hmm. and uh, he he swore it really helped production and it probably did well vetch is a good legume and it's uh you know problem a lot of us have is that the deer love it we can't use it out in the open we have to use it in contained areas like the garden but i'm still yeah i'm a fan of uh vetch and clover and all those good uh ones that produce the nitrogen fixing nodules on the roots but uh it's uh it's just you know mother nature has the answers if we're just smart enough to look out there and see what she's doing well, it's speaking of leaves, uh, you sure hit it right last week when you said that the trees were starting to color up. And other than the things that the leaves just froze off of, man, we've gotten into one of the prettiest falls I've seen uh, with the red oaks and, uh, you know, the pistache and the uh, sumacs and even the Bradford pears with all their problems. They sure do have pretty color this year. It was really interesting, wasn't it? We had... Uh a train wreck uh, early with mm-hmm. that early freeze and uh, i was talking to tony manisseri on his farm in mckinney yesterday and it it did it to his big bur oak it just uh-huh. turned all the leaves brown and they fell off all at one time and the, the big old acorns are still falling uh, all over the place now <laughs> and my ginkgo and the texas champion ginkgo over in new boston had didn't have a lick of color all right. fell off and then we had some really nice yellow some of the cedar elms are as pretty a yellow color as as i've ever seen yeah and um uh, in my backyard the pawpaws are beautiful yellow and all that and like you said now the red oaks are starting to come on to a degree on the other hand some of the red oaks like the ones i'm looking at out in my back right now are just <laughs> dumping 
uh, and didn't have any fall color at all. So it, it's varied all over the uh, the map this year. Yeah, it it really is. And the cosmetic damage has been amazing to me. I'm I'm seeing big areas of ground covers like Asiatic jasmine that normally don't have a problem with with temperatures in the low teens and all that flush of new growth that came out with all the rains is just you know three inches of brown frozen tissue up on top viburnum suspensum which is you know one of our most deer resistant plants and consequently it's very widely used in some of the little communities around here it was starting to put on new leaves and now the tip of every branch is just a massive black frozen tissue and i haven't seen anywhere that i thought we really had significant long-term damage but cosmetically there there are a lot of things that look a whole lot worse than they normally would yeah it's uh it's different i tell you uh there's nothing you can do about it. You just kind of have to go with the uh, punches. I, I've got a strange thing going on uh, water-wise, too. Our swimming pool and the uh, the koi pond are losing more water than ever before, and i got to do that, that test I told you about, and I still haven't uh-huh. done it to see if we've got a leak. I did find one tree root probably from the uh, real close-by fig tree uh, that had gotten over its got over the edge and was in the water probably pulling out a little <laughs> excess and i'm going to go around the edge and, and pull the rock back and see if i don't have more of that i think some of the ground covers the roots have crept over and are getting in the water and that you know it's drier the humidity is drier and and that combination i think just make the difference i don't think there's any leak there i think yeah. it's just kind of a natural situation and the wind doesn't help anything either right it's well, it's and it's always funny. I still get those people that think that somehow roots have little drills in them and they penetrate their way through the liner, or they penetrate their way into the sewer line, or whatever else. And it's just simply not true. But roots, especially on things like figs, if they've got a little opening, if they're if they make it down into the water of your koi pond or whatever else, they can sure proliferate in a hurry, and uh, they'll sort of take advantage of it if they have an opportunity. Oh, yeah, it's the same way it works under the house. You know, people um, are always talking about don't plant trees any closer than 20 feet or whatever the distance is from the house. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I've got probably 15 trees that are closer than that to my house, and there are millions of trees all over the world that are real close to to buildings and inside, you know, in courtyards in the middle of houses and everything, not creating any problem. But if the foundation... (laughs) You have to always tell people that there's always a possibility because if there's a leak under the house or a, a fault in the foundation, the roots and they can get the roots can get started and they find moisture there, they will build up uh, under. But in most cases, the foundation functions as a root barrier. Oh, it does. And and people that are on on slabs, of course, they put those grade beams around the around the exterior and the roots simply there's nothing underneath the foundation for them to want to grow to and uh that's one thing uh i've got some real good pictures uh somebody took with an air spade where they've gone out to show people they're having their foundation company and everybody else tell them oh you have to cut down those beautiful big trees they're too close to your house and they're going to tear up your foundation and had somebody come out with an air spade and expose all around the foundation and you could see where the roots had just gone up to the foundation and then just gone off to the side different directions and you know granted if they're going under a driveway or something eventually they may lift and cause some problems but uh 
Uh, there, there are a lot of people that don't understand roots and what they dangers that they do and don't pose. And um, and well, your home's a perfect example, as is mine. That uh, if if the if the foundation was there before the tree was planted, there's virtually no chance there's going to be any damage to it. And if the foundation came later, chances are they cut those roots putting in the grade beams. So I see a lot of unnecessary work done because uh, people think they're too close to the house. Yeah, I've seen some beautiful trees cut down as a uh, as a result of that. I think that's good advice for people if we're really thinking about doing that is to hire an arborist or somebody to come out with a pair of spade and open up the soil and see what's going on. There, but there's always a possibility, and if there is a problem, you can see it by uncovering that ditch. It costs some money, but <clears throat> it'd be a whole lot better than. Uh, just going ahead and wholesale cut down the trees. One thing that I always tell people, and it surprises them, is that if they believe in that theory mm-hmm. that a, a tree uh, can be a, a danger to the foundation, your only answer to that is to cut down every tree on your property <laughs> because the, yeah. the roots go out you know, a whole lot farther than the drip line of the tree. So that means on you know normal size properties every tree on the property would have roots under your house yeah, that's exactly right i don't I, have we ever walked uh up roberta's creek on her ranch together have we ever gone down and looked at that big cypress tree that's down at the at the mouth of the canyon if we did it was a long time ago we need to do that on the next trip i'd love to see all that stuff it's been if we did it, it was a long time ago well and the the thought there is that that we have been i know maybe Oh, it's hard to imagine how far, but a long, long way away from the base of that cypress tree. And because the soil's shallow, you know, you come across roots from this tree, and the tree's way down there in the distance. And uh, you're exactly right. Those trees, people think the roots go out as far as a drip line. Those roots can go out three or probably four times as far out as a drip line on a tree. Sure. Yeah, yeah. maybe more than that. It really depends on where they find moisture, and they'll build up. I, I, it's a misconception that... The trees seek out water too. It's just that if they grow into an area that is wetter, they'll they'll build up there. But they're not gonna they don't have any way to, to you know radar that finds water for them or anything. It it is truly amazing the things that you hear. But you know, and I'm I'm still living with a hundred and some odd year old clay sewer line that has to be cleaned out periodically. And if you don't think those roots proliferate, just look at what they pull out with that auger every now and then. Because that one tiny little root goes in, and uh, it's just they're you know they're doing what's a normal thing. They want to take up as much water and nutrient as possible, and they just make a a massive growth. But uh, they don't they don't create the problem they just take advantage of a problem that's already there in the form of a small crack or opening or whatever one thing i wanted to uh wanted to ask about um um, this morning is you know we talk about organic certification and the fact that usda is not well it's not the most perfect thing do you think what do you think of any of the other organic certifications i know they've got oregon tilth up in the northwest part of the country and uh i'm i'm very much in favor of this uh gmo project that uh you know i'm seeing that on lots and lots of things in the grocery store to at least let you know that uh different things are gmo free are there any certifications that you look for have you have we thought about well you know, we just do our own with uh-huh. Texas organic research center right 
that we've certified some projects and we've helped some people with uh, some products. That's one of the things that uh, that we do. But I think any of those private things are really better than the than the government. Uh, certified organic stuff. It's good that we've got it there. It, it's yep. just another tool and another thing to look at, but it's certainly not perfect by any uh, by any means. They accept some things that we don't accept. We were talking, I think, last week about yep. copper sulfate, for example, and, and and then there are some things that we think are perfectly uh, okay, like hydrogen peroxide, that they don't don't accept. They accept it for cleaning mm-hmm. equipment, but they don't <laughs> accept it for any of the uses that we have. Uh, they're so great. Well, that's that's interesting. How much is Torque doing in that? Y'all are actively certifying projects and uh, and and things like that. I've well, always... we, you know, we're such a low-budget deal that we don't go out seeking it. If anybody comes to us, we uh, we work with them and help them. And we're uh, we're working with a city right now uh, to uh, do a, a park. It's going to be a seven-acre park as a uh, demo, demonstration to them, and also just you know, the, uh, they really want to go that way. They just need to see how well it works uh, before they pull the trigger to do the whole park department. But there's really a great interest in doing that, and that's being done through Torque uh, as well. Well, that's fantastic. That's an incredible step forward. I think we're going to see more and more of that happening. The only problem is we've been involved in that before, and uh, unfortunately the most common thing that happens is we get all – we get people all fired up to do the organic thing. We write the specs and get the thing going, and then somebody comes along from some university and says, you know, there's not any research backing this up. There, this doesn't work, and you don't need to do that. And it's amazing how powerful that can be yeah. by one professor or university-type person saying, you know, there's not anything uh, backing that uh, stuff up, and you really shouldn't be going that way. And it just gives people, a, uh, you know, an uncomfortable feel, and they tend to go back to what all, all the peers are doing. It was amazing to me talking to these people with, with this park department. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll tell you who it is. Denton is who it is. I, I, I was amazed at the people in the park department who were really nice and have been really helpful and and things are going along really well, but how little they knew yeah. about the organic approach. Just, you know, just didn't have a clue. And all they would talk about, and they were surprised when they would tell me about the pre-emergence and the things they had been using, that that wasn't an acceptable thing, and that there were alternatives, you know, with the organic tools. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out well and it it is and the thing that i've i've asked some of them locally here is they tell me about some of the uh the things that we don't approve of and i ask them well how well has that worked for you and they say well gosh you know it really hadn't done much good but but we keep on doing it because uh there's always some excuse for well this just wasn't a real good year for weed and feed or whatever else and uh and and unfortunately, so much has to do with who's the head of the department or who's you know the you know the the greenskeeper at the golf course, and it only takes one person misguided that uh, can really mess up a lot of a lot of good years of work. And yeah, and and the ironic thing is that the part we're dealing with right now is this first step. You know, it ain't perfect now. Mm-hmm. The, the chemicals. <laughs> And the synthetic fertilizers are not a panacea, but it's 
for whatever reason, when you try to go the organic route, then all of a sudden those same weeds that were already there become a bigger problem. Yeah, yeah, and it's all the fault of the organics. Yeah. Uh, so it's a strange world, but it, anyway, it, we'll keep you posted on that. It's going to be uh, uh, an interesting thing to be involved in, and, and like I said, the people involved very enthusiastic and uh, very positive about it. So uh, it may go somewhere. If one city, you know, of that size does it, it could be a big, big deal for uh, for other people to you know, really seriously look at doing the same thing. Well, you know, next time you're down here, or I may even take some photographs and send you in the meantime, uh, we have a very progressive, really, really neat guy that's done great things for Bernie. He used to actually be with the Nature Conservancy, and he's now he's a city planner up there. But uh, they did a lot of things right when they built their new library and things. But but what I'm getting to is, uh, and it didn't really have anything to do with organics. It had to do with water. But he created, we did some of the editing on some of it, and that's a whole other story. But he put a lot of interpretive signs and explanations out through there that people stand and read they're well done they have some illustration to them and it's kind of like going into a state park or a national park and you stop and read those signs along the trail that tell you things uh they did the same thing in this courtyard area up there and i would love to hope that they might do something in this park that not only does it but has a good explanation of things that people are walking through and hopefully admiring things and could be a great teaching tool too and uh that'd that'd be another great project for somebody to support i actually and and it's amazing that the cost is not that high because i was talking to my friend paul and saying gosh i wish you had one talking about groundwater districts and what they do and uh he said well you know i wish i'd thought of that i don't have the money to do another one he said but if you can come up with a couple of hundred dollars he said we can make it happen which we did but uh just it's just such a great chance for you know a, a silent teacher is what i call them people get out there and read and learn on their own time at their own speed but gosh that'd be a good thing to to put in the park and and talk about the changes and you know, in a nice way, talk about why this is so much better than the synthetics. And uh, that, that sounds like a real opportunity. Well, it is, but uh, it, it's, you know, it, it has a bunch of uh, traps <laughs> along the road. One of the ones we ran into when we did Radio Shack in Fort Worth, sure. we, I was the arborist on the project and, and also wrote the specifications. I was not the landscape architect. Landscape architect was uh, SWA, you know, big mm-hmm. national firm. And uh, the architect put me into the mix, and they didn't like it at all. They, the landscape architects really bucked it being organic, believe it or not. But that, that's pretty pretty common. Actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see it all the time. And uh, the, uh, we, it went organic. It, uh, I was able to change the specifications on staking the trees and wrapping the trees and you know all the things that uh, they wanted to put in the specifications on the trees. I said, you know, we don't want any of that stuff. We'll we'll say that if it if a tree blows over and has to be staked, it will be done under with these techniques mm-hmm. in a, a unit price added to the deal. You know how I many we had to do zero Not one, and there were four hundred <laughs> trees planted on the property. But the problems on that job, we had a problem in that the landscape contractor, which is also one of the big national landscape contractors, one day I was out there of inspecting the 
some of the tree work or something like that. And even though it uh, had been ordered that it was an organic project, and my specs, their their truck was there to do the fertilization, and guess what it was loaded with? Oh, yeah. The same fertilizer that they were using on all their other projects. So it, it, it sometimes is just an accidental mm-hmm. problem that you have to deal with. But it's... Uh, Anyway, we keep we keep hanging in there trying to make it work. Well, it just uh, it it sounds like it has potential, and it's just always the the time and effort, and like you say, the supervision. That's 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 the unfortunate thing, and that uh, people just have a tendency to. Uh, it's just if it's the paradigm, it's, if it's what they've always done, they see nothing wrong in continuing to do it that way. And uh, the nice thing about organics is you start seeing results almost immediately. It can take, at a molecular level, so to speak, it can take some time to undo some of the damage. But it's like exposing the root flares. You don't have to wait very long to see what a good thing you've done. Not at all. First growing season, it's just remarkable, the improvement. Well, We'll we'll hang in there, <laughs> and I'll get if I get a chance, I'll take a I'll take a picture of two or three of the the signs that Paul did. He actually made frames, believe it or not. He's a model railroader is one of his interests, and uh, yeah. but he actually got some old rails, ninety pound rails, and actually made the frames for the uh, the interpretive signs that he put out. <laughs> so they're about as about as indestructible as it could be. But I'll I'll send you some of those and see if you get any ideas from it. I I look forward to to following this project. That sounds like fun. Yeah, that'd be good. Well, as always, it's a pleasure, as I always like to remind people at this time of year, when people are into their uh, year-end giving for tax savings and things like that, put Torque up there high on the list as far as a really good organization that you could make a 401c3 contribution to. That and, uh, you know, if you have any questions about anything, DirtDoctor.com and all the information about the books and all that uh, are there. The book, buying the books there can help uh, Torque uh, as well. So you can, if you don't get them at Shades of Green, that gives you another uh, another way to go. Well, Howard, it is always such a pleasure to visit. Uh, as always, my greetings to your, to your four-legged and two-legged family, and I'll look forward to visiting again next Saturday. Have fun as always. See you next week. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Mr. Gary is the Dirt Doctor, and DirtDoctor.com is his, well, he and his uh, partner and, and lots of input from a lot of good people. But DirtDoctor.com is just an incredible website, has some of the best information you'll find out there. It's just a tremendous resource. Everybody looks at the Internet, but unfortunately, lots and lots and lots of people are reading information from a different part of the country, from areas that are totally different than ours. And that information is always not always good. But when you go to DirtDoctor.com, you're going to find things that work in Texas. And, uh, you know, other than a few temperature differences, uh, I, of course, I lived in Dallas for a number of years, and I find that the growing situations are very similar in a lot of ways. And I can pretty much promise you anything you find on DirtDoctor.com is going to work well in San Antonio and the Hill Country as well. All right, let's get back and take a few more phone calls here. We're going to talk to Ross and Jim and Jason, and uh, Ross is up first. Hey, Bob, how you doing? I'm good, sir. How about yourself? Oh, trying to 
straighten up some very confused plants around here. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, it's uh, it's been a most interesting fall, and uh, it's, we're not the only ones. I had to run out of town for a few days last week, and uh, other parts of Texas the same way, all the way from here, the i-35 corridor up to dallas and all around but uh i don't know i haven't seen i know you do a lot of work with the campus over there in uh seguin but i haven't seen what i would consider permanent damage but man there's a lot of cosmetic damage out there yeah yeah uh, my red bud has budded out for the third time this year <laughs> wow and my peach, my peach tree has flowers on it <laughs> your plants are even more confused than mine yeah Okay. Uh, well, I was going to ask you. I have a, a Joey avocado, and I was curious: is the is it grafted to the same species, or is it a different variety of avocado? It's going to be to a different variety of avocado. It's uh, and I'm not sure which one they're using. And I think some. I think there's more than one rootstock they're using. But so far as I have heard. Uh, they are all at least as cold hardy as, you know, the graft, as the scion is. The thing that I just, and, and I know you already know this, but for the benefit of our other listeners, is even these so-called cold hardy avocados like Joy, like Opal, like, you know, a lot of the rest of them out there, they're not cold hardy until they start forming that woody bark. In that first right. couple of years, you know, you may have to protect them if we get severe cold. But uh, I, I don't think it's I don't think there's any problem with lack of hardiness in the rootstock. But I'm uh, I, I I know it's a seedling rootstock, which means it it can't be the same exact as what's being grafted onto it. But I I, I think it's a different rootstock. But I'll I'll do some research and see what I can find out. Yeah, I was just curious because if I tried to grow anything from the seed if i was going to get the same thing or was i going to be get like a, a sour orange situation no i don't think you would uh be looking at uh anything sour orange is sort of unique and of course it's one of the reasons it's chosen is for its cold hardiness but uh um i i think growing a rootstock from a seed we don't i don't think we fully understand what makes this particular group of avocados more cold hardy and i don't think we can guarantee that a seed from an opal or joy or whatever is necessarily going to be any equal or more or less cold hardy, but uh, just going to take a little more time, a lot more culture to see what we find out. But I, I'd be comfortable, you know, growing and using uh, those those varieties as rootstock. Yeah, I was just just curious. <laughs> well, and of course, the other thing about buy about grafting is that you one of the main things is you bypass that long wait for the tree to reach maturity. So uh, I know right. you need one more thing to do in life. So uh, I'll make that your project. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I appreciate it, Bob. Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you. We'll get together in the near future, and I will move on and talk to Jim. Good morning, Jim. Morning, Bob. How morning. are you? Uh, just going to be another nice day out there. A little, little breezy this morning, but I'm still seeing 77 for a high in San Antonio this afternoon. So going to be pretty darn nice for the first day of uh, December. It's wonderful weather. Yes, sir. Uh, Bob, I've got two questions. One has to do with rosemary. Okay. It has just gone wild. Mm-hmm. And the question is, how much can I cut that back? Well, we have to talk about a percentage of leaf area. And, of course, rosemary, you know, not the same leaves as we have on other trees. But I would never cut out more than about 40% 
of the foliage of a rosemary at any one time. When you take away foliage, you take away the plant's ability of getting rid of excess moisture, and the greatest danger in the world, rosemary, is staying too wet. So uh, um, we're not going to say by a half or by a third. We're just going to say is don't don't take off more than about 40% of the green portion of the rosemary at any one time. Okay, 40%. Yeah. All right, sir. And then the other question has to do with an Esperanza. Uh-huh. It's about 10 to 12 feet high. And in, in, in the past, I've always cut it down to maybe 6, 10, 12 inches above the ground. Right. Is that necessary to cut those back each year? No, not at all. Only if you're worried about them getting too big. And Esperanza, as you know, can get very large. And if you want a six-foot flowering shrub, then, yeah, you do have to cut it that far back. What I tend to do is just cut back however much needs to be cut back for cosmetic reasons and then wait and see. If we have a cold winter you know, you really can't tell how much of the trunk froze, but Mother Nature will tell you when she starts putting on the growth in the spring, and you kind of know everything above that that point where the growth is coming out is frozen, and that tells me how far they really have to be cut back. But, uh, no, there's the only thing you're doing with that severe pruning every year is just you're limiting the size. You're keeping it down to a little more manageable plant. If you've got room for it to be a, you know, a 15-foot beautiful flowering free then just let it go uh, okay well that's i'm glad you said that because where this is located it's next to a outdoor gazebo uh-huh. and uh it, it it's about as high as it needs to be right now i may sure. just cut it back as you said cosmetically and uh uh to the point where it's 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 not crowding the structure yep. or itself right and if you ever add more as you probably know there are some much more compact forms of esperanza out there now a lot of stuff came out of a place called mountain states nursery and we have a lot of new esperanzas that are going to top out about six or seven feet that we're not going to have to worry as much about them getting too right. big but you enjoy that one while you have it and uh um yeah if you need to keep it small then i think cutting back that 12 to 18 inches uh is a pretty good idea. Let me ask you one more question, Jim. The rosemary that we were talking about, um, how old are those plants? How long have they been in the ground? Uh, the rosemary has probably been there, uh, oh gosh, probably six, seven years. Okay, because the average life on rosemary in this area is somewhere around eight or ten years. So, um, you know, if, as these plants get older, sometimes cutting them back is a little harder on them, and sometimes they tend to die back, and people think that they cause that by cutting them. But uh, in a lot of cases, especially when we have a lot of wet weather, they're just getting beyond their normal lifespan. So, yeah, I go ahead and cut it up to 40% or so, but uh, recognize that one of these days you're going to be replacing, especially that prostrate rosemary, because uh, it just doesn't live forever in our climate. Well, that's good to know. I'm glad you said that. Well, you get out and have a good weekend, and we'll talk again. You do the same, Bob. Thank, Thank you, you very Jim. Much. Very much. Thank you. Bye. All right. Well, let's get back and finish up with gardening, and we'll be with Jason. Good morning, Jason. Hey, Bob. How you doing? I'm well, sir. How about yourself? I, I will admit to wishing I was fishing today rather than working, but, you know, that's yeah. a standard problem. 
Yeah. Hey, uh, I just wanted to test what you were saying about the leave the leaves on the grass. Yes, sir. Um, several years ago, I have a friend. He's into landscaping and stuff like that, and um, he had just finished a job, and I was checking my mail. I saw him coming down the street, and I stopped him, and I said, hey, what you doing, Tyrone? Let's have a beer, and we sat and have a beer and stuff, and drank a beer, and he goes, Jay, I got to go. I got to get rid of these leaves and stuff, and I said, leaves? You got leaves? I said, dump them in my yard. And he goes, are you serious? And I said, yeah, dump them in my yard. I said, take the bags with you, but I mulched them about three times, and the next year, I had the most prettiest yard in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I know that stuff works, and it, I don't know why people rake their leaves. I guess it's just tradition or something. You know, it covers their yards like they don't look right, and then yeah, it's it's a funny thing, you know, when I I I've used to watch people and thank goodness it's changed, but people used to spread dirt on their yard. And I asked yeah. a guy one time to see him get a load of soil dumped out there, and I went and I asked him why I was doing it, and he said, "Well, I don't know, my daddy did this, so I guess it was the right thing yeah, to do." You know what? And I've done the same thing myself. And you walk around and you see these people where the level of their yard's two inches higher than their sidewalk, and they're wondering why it's hard to keep the sidewalk clean. But it's leaves are the same way. I think people a lot of times they just uh, they don't think the leaves are good for anything. They think they're just trash once they've fallen off the tree. And the truth is, yeah. they're full of nutrients. I mean, they don't replace fertilizer, but they bring a lot of good things there. So. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that story with us. It's it's yeah, what I would have expected. I, I, I figured that out. I was on my way to Indiana one time a few years ago, and I said, "Why why are the trees so much taller and bigger here than just in the city?" And I I don't know how I came up with it, but I said, "Leaves don't get raked." <laughs> well, since then, since then, I you know, <laughs> you know, I I I, I knew you're right. So, well, I appreciate I appreciate the affirmation as how Mother Nature's been building soil for you know many 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 eons of time. So uh, it's a shame that not everybody uh, realizes things as well. Well, listen, thanks for sharing well, that with us. Well, long, long as long as you keep talking about it, people catch on. They'll eventually get around to catching on. I trust that's the case, and that's why I'm here every Saturday and Sunday morning. You get out and have a great weekend. Hey, I appreciate your show, Bob. Thank you, sir, very much. I appreciate your call, and we'll we'll talk again.